Good morning, afternoon, evening, late at night, whatever time you are listening to this. Uh, and welcome back to the Faith Like a Child podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Satry, here with Megan Clark. Hello. Uh, we are admittedly fresh recording this right after the time change, so apologies in advance for any... Uh, <laughs> we are wide awake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no lies in that statement at all. <laughs> um, but anyway, so apologies for that. We are going to talk today, since it is the Lenten season leading up to Easter, we are going to actually spend some time talking about uh, a few Easter traditions, primarily the Easter Bunny and Lent, and kind of through it all be talking about Jesus. Um, and we'll be also then in the next episode, we'll be getting really specifically into Jesus and uh crucifixion, all of the kind of Easter re-things. Um, but we wanted to spend some time talking about some other traditions. So fair warning before we dive into this for any of you parents out there who are really into certain Easter traditions and characters or Christmas characters and traditions and want to keep those things alive for your children and not have certain <laughs> details spoiled. Uh, just listen with your headphones uh, or at least not with your kids around because inevitably we're gonna otherwise ruin someone's easter or christmas by saying certain characters have certain spoilers um so we're gonna start first by talking about um the easter bunny traditions because i want to save kind of the lent traditions more as a transition and talking about jesus um and i will be perfectly honest to kind of get into our what have we done with this in the past I was really hoping to actually never have to talk about the Easter Bunny with Nora <laughs> because I grew up not doing that at all and neither did my my husband Josh. Um, they do like Easter egg hunts and stuff um, and have some we have some fun traditions here with the Satry side that we do here especially um, with Easter egg hunts inside the house which is kind of fun but yeah we never really did anything with the Easter Bunny and so I was kind of like hoping to have to avoid that because like you see Easter bunny stuff, but it doesn't feel as saturated or ubiquitous in daily culture like Santa does at Christmas time. And so it feels a little easier to avoid some of those questions. But then <laughs> darn you, Bluey, uh, there's an Easter episode <laughs> of Bluey that Nora is obsessed with. And of course, the, the one of the key plot points is that um, Bingo and... Bluey, well, Bingo especially, are sad because the Easter Bunny forgot them last year. And so then it's a whole thing about uh, going on this adventure to follow the Easter Bunny tracks to find their Easter basket and being convinced that the Easter Bunny forgot all about them. Um, and, of course, you as a parent watching it are just knowing the, and the, the, the way the, the dialogue for the parents is like, yeah, the parents were busy and forgot that it was Easter is clearly what the connotation was there. Um but anyway, so of course, yeah, that's an episode that Nora's been obsessed with recently. And so he she hears the word Easter and immediately thinks of that episode. And then we start talking about the Easter bunny. And is the Easter bunny going to forget me? And I'm like, oh, boy. So, <laughs> Megan, I don't know if you have any past experience that you can share. But this is a topic that I suddenly have to find myself thinking a lot more about than I ever thought I was going to have to. <laughs> well, um, my experience is probably a little more similar to yours in my upbringing. Um we, I, I never believed in the, the Easter bunny. We never, we never really did the Easter bunny as 
um, as an actual tradition. We would, of course, do, you know, we'd get Easter baskets. My parents would hide, we would decorate the Easter eggs and hide them and um, we would go hunting for them. Um, although I grew up in upstate New York. So there was always, uh, you know, there's usually a couple feet of snow on the ground still mm-hmm. by Easter. So mm-hmm. they were usually I grew up indoor. in Montana. Mm-hmm. So our Easter dresses were always hidden underneath our snow gear when we went oh, to yes. church. It seems like, <laughs> or at least it felt like anyway. Yes. Yeah, so our Easter egg hunts were usually in the house. I do remember one year my dad got really creative and hid the Easter eggs outside in the snow. And we had to trudge through to try to find them. So that was fun. But the Easter Bunny um, was not something that that was a big deal um, for us. Although my parents did have the talk that they had with us at Christmas time that we needed to respect our friends and their family's traditions when it comes to the holidays. Um, basically, keep your mouth shut. when it comes to your friends wanting to believe in Santa or the Easter Bunny. Don't spoil it for them if that's what their family, you know, chooses to do. Um, And for the most part, surprisingly enough, uh, we we were very, very okay with that. Um, I don't recall my siblings or I ever spoiling anything for any of my friends. So that's good. Um, but we kind of take that same sort of tradition or that same sort of line with with our kids. Um, my husband didn't grow up with, you know, going to get pictures with the Easter Bunny and all of that. Um, I actually was afraid of the Easter Bunny for the longest time because yeah. I knew it was just some guy in a suit and I was really creeped out at the idea of getting <laughs> my picture taken. So um, I was I was actually afraid of the Easter Bunny for the longest time. There. Did your family try and do Easter Bunny pictures and stuff then? Thankfully, no. Um, yeah. Although at school one time, like they tried with Santa Claus. We um, had a little trip, you know, to the local library where Santa and the Easter Bunny were. Um, and my mom had to send a note both times that basically warned my teacher to not ask me to get, because I was a very <laughs> outspoken little child and I would not have taken it very well if they had tried to get me to go sit on the Easter Bunny's lap. There. So... <laughs> Yeah, that's a story for another time. Um, long story short, uh, we we just have fun with it with our kids. We do the the Easter baskets. We do the Easter eggs. We do the Easter egg hunt. Um, at our church, we have our extravaganza family mm-hmm. event, which is mm-hmm. super fun, by the way. Um, but we just kind of leave it at that. We just mm-hmm. kind of do some fun activities, let them enjoy some of the, you know, the childish playfulness of of the holiday season, um, but not to the point to where we we have to keep keep them in the dark from from some truths. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, that's kind of where that's kind of where we landed on that. Um, just because that was just our experience. We just neither one of us. Had, had that really be a thing. So it really wasn't hard. It really mm-hmm. wasn't a big deal for us. Uh, we don't have a lot of friends that do that. We have a couple. Um, so we are we do have to make the kids, you know, we talk to them, make sure that they're respectful. Um, yeah. I don't want to be that friend. Yeah. Like <laughs> I said, I feel like it's... Don't invite the Clark kids. They're, yeah, they're right. They spoil everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like in some ways this is kind of easier to avoid than the Santa conversation, which mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll talk about when it gets closer to Christmas time again. Because, yeah, it it's definitely a part of the culture, but it feels less, mm-hmm. like, saturated. And I 
so I went, I was kind of curious as to like, so what, what even led to like Easter eggs and Easter bunnies in the first place? And so I kind of went down a rabbit hole of research last night and I found, I found this really fascinating article actually that um, was from the sixties. The woman who wrote it, she ended up writing, she was a folklorist Mm -hmm. um, in England and she ended up writing a whole book on it that won several awards and stuff. So if you are interested in a 30 page journal article that talks about like the entire history of like, not just like in Europe and America, but like the full global engagement of egg (laughs) eggs and then a whole section on Easter eggs. But like, I didn't, I basically, I hadn't realized like how important eggs or how mysterious eggs were in like ancient mythologies and, and folklores. Uh, I'll figure out if I can f- put a link in the show notes, but it, as I was telling Josh, I was like, you would not expect a 31 page paper on eggs with like over 150 footnotes to be interesting, but she, she's a very compelling writer. And it was to me, it was, just, it was, it's probably the epitome like a top example of why I am an academic nerd at heart because I thought it was just absolutely fascinating and I might have to track down her full book at some point, but I feel like I got a pretty good overview from the, from the journal article, but basically it was the whole thing was like going into the mythology of eggs. So it's like kind of some things that if you stop to think about it for a few minutes, it would kind of come to um, be kind of like, Oh yeah. Natural thinking of like eggs representing life. Um, even before we knew that like, that human reproduction has what we call an egg involved. Like before we knew all that, there's that sense of like, sometimes you you have life come out of these eggs that crack open and you get chicks or ducks or, you know, birds. And uh, so there's that aspect, there's nourishment that comes out of it. Um, and so there's a lot of like actually creation myths that involve eggs. Um, some of them very strange. Um, but then there's also things um, like the story of a phoenix, which an egg comes out of its ashes as the part of the rebirth process. And I think a lot of people hear, you know, the phoenix and think of like Harry Potter stuff now, but it's actually, that's kind of what the the author of this article used to transition into talking about Eastertide because that was, um, I think it was Clement, St. Clement of Alexandria, I think. Um, he, in his, one of his letters to the Corinthians, he uh, had the, the, um, the parable of the phoenix and used the phoenix as imagery kind of in, I can't remember exactly the context of it anymore, but in, in a reference to, to explaining some truths about Christ and resurrection. Um, and to the point where the phoenix kind of became an early symbol of the Christian church. There's some ancient grave markers with symbols of phoenixes on there. Um, and so you get, that's kind of one theory of where the egg usage came from. And there's signs of like Easter egg exchanges for Lent um, and Easter as early as like the 300s and 400s and then um, kind of going on from there. The Easter bunny is a little harder to track down because that's more of like elements of pagan thought, but also like the bunny lays the egg sometimes that, that one I was a little bit more, there wasn't a, a convenient 30 page article on the history of rabbits and bunnies as <laughs> Um, as like there was with this, with this egg journal or egg article. Um, but it, it was interesting to me. Cause like, as I think was just a reminder, it's like, <clears throat> like a lot of things with Christmas is that some of these things were actually very prevalent from early times in the church. So there are at least references to Easter 
hares, sometimes hunting Easter hares as part of a, a Easter weekend celebration, I guess, to feast, whether it's like breaking the fast for Lent, which is often, it often um, for Lent, you didn't eat things like meat and in some locations, eggs. Um, so that's part of what, why eggs became an Easter basket thing is because that's one of the ways you celebrate the breaking of the fast of Lent. Um, and so, and then rabbits also obviously, uh, repopulate very quickly. So there's a lot of, um, lore about how they are symbols of life. They're pretty sneaky and fast and tricky sometimes. So they can like survive. They're, they're considered symbols of wisdom in some cultures. So all that is to say is like, it's, it feels recent to me when I think of, when I just think about Easter and Easter bunnies and candy and stuff, but it actually has very old roots. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't want to completely throw um, the baby out with the bathwater as it were. And so when I think about trying to explain things like the Easter bunny and eggs to Nora, especially, it's more of like, a, I guess for me, I, I, after reading all that research, it's like, I think of it as a celebration of life, which you can then tie into like, you know, talking about the resurrection and that life, but it's of life and um, sharing, like with the Easter eggs is always a good thing to reinforce with little kids, importance of sharing and finding things, um, but really life and resurrection and um, new hope and opportunities, I think are good things to come out of that. Um, before I move, I, I actually had a direct tie into Lent, but I wanted to see if you had any thoughts, Megan, before I do that. Yeah, um, you know, my my little question asker, Rory, of course, um, has in recent years, you know, not, not with too much um, curiosity, but he has asked, you know, why, you know, why, why the Easter bunny? Why, why eggs? Why, you know, mommy, if, if Easter is all about Jesus and his death and resurrection, then why, why have the Easter bunny? Why have all of this? Um, and he even asked me, is it okay to pretend that there is an Easter bunny? Is, is that wrong? You know, my little rule follower, he wanted to make sure that, you know, it wouldn't be something that would be and we just, you know, we told them, they were like, it's okay to enjoy some of the, the fun things of a holiday too. Like it's, it's something that's just fun and it brings laughter and togetherness. You know, when we go to the Easter egg hunt at church, you know, it brings people together and um, they watch their Easter shows. They have all, they all love Snoopy. So mm -hmm. the Easter bun, you know, the Easter beagle. Um, and so they like to, to watch those shows, you know, the, the bluey Easter special and, mm -hmm. you know, things mm -hmm. like that. And they like to have fun with it. Um, and, you know, Josh and I, we, we don't see anything wrong with, with having fun with this season. Um, we just always follow that up with that question, that question. We always follow those up with, it's okay to have fun and enjoy it. But at the end of the day, you want to remember why we celebrate mm -hmm. the season, you know, mm -hmm. don't let the fun and the sugar high and, you know, all of that cloud out the heart of, of why we, you know, have Lent and, and the Easter season. So, mm -hmm. um, just with the Easter bunny, we, we always follow that up with just making sure that, you know, we can have our fun, but then we, we tie it back into, to the heart of what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that kind of gives him the best of both worlds. It gives him that fun and that wonder, but it also reminds him, you know, 
of what we believe and why we, we celebrate, you know, even something that can be as heavy as the crucifixion, why mm-hmm. it is still a time of celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we'll get into that later, but that's, that's one thing that we do tie in with the Easter bunny topic, um, mm-hmm. which I think makes, makes a nice balance. Yeah. Um, especially when they're so young like this to, yeah. you know, to, to allow them to have, have a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's helpful. And I think, cause I was thinking about this when I was thinking about Lent and Easter t- or Easter bunnies and stuff together. I think one of the reasons why it's maybe harder for me to figure out or maybe why I just never really thought more about how I would respond to this as a parent is because because of so I've spent probably the last 12ish basically since college college or right after college largely attending churches that are um kind of non-denominational and what um scholars would technically call quote unquote low church um actually doing the air quotes there cuz low church in the sense of there's not a lot of ceremony there's not a lot of um following of a liturgical calendar or things like that is usually what it's meant by versus high church which is more very much more of like we follow you know different creeds and different you know patterns of service and you know kind of that that flow of the the calendar or the liturgical calendar and for the most part it doesn't seem to to bother me or maybe not bother is the right word but it I don't think about it too much except for Advent and Lent are the two places where I always feel like especially um lacking is the word that comes to mind I don't know if it's exactly the best word but basically kind of at least notice the absence of that and with the Christmas time Advent is important to me but I feel like it's the absence is less noticeable because there is like this whole Christmas season like basically from Thanksgiving to Christmas we have kind of like culturally a whole lead up to Christmas which does drive some people nuts because it's so including me because it's like so commercialized and like you know there's like so much pressure and I feel like at least at our church at at DRCC we do a pretty good job of trying to kind of counter some of that with kids ministry like last year we had the that I think you came up with Megan, the, the calendar of events to kind of think about. And that was coming fresh off the heels of like a whole month of November thinking about things that we're thankful for each day. And so there's kind of a lot of like counter stuff in churches kind of naturally to think about ways to like recognize the importance of the Christmas season for people who don't believe in in Jesus and like what it means to them culturally but also to to pivot like you did with with your kids and and to pivot and be like remember what the reason for the season is and like really get into those conversations and with Lent we don't really have that and even like even growing up in the in the Christian Reformed Church like I did which is more it's not fully high church but it definitely is more like we had a specific order of service we would read had certain things that were different times of year um, patterns of worship things certain things you'd read on certain days and orders of service and things like that we didn't necessarily follow lent like the way some of my catholic friends would like i don't remember actually attending like say an ash wednesday service before i went to college or um things like that but you know like the decorations would change a little bit in church the hymns would change we'd be reading or singing a lot of like 
some of my favorite hymns actually, but like the quote unquote Lenten hymns. Um, and oftentimes, you know, like the service sermons series might be kind of leaning up toward Easter more specifically and kind of talking about Lent that way. Um, so there was at least a sense of, you know, Easter is coming that I think is sometimes like it was more somber and reflective than my experience at um, non-denominational churches where that Easter is coming like, oh, Easter is coming. Help us host everyone who's going to come visit um, that weekend by volunteering and get ready to celebrate without really thinking about like, like I know, I think pretty sure DRCC, <laughs> I can even check the calendar, but I assume they've done good Friday services. So I'm assuming they're going to do a good Friday service again. Megan is nodding. Yes. Um, so yes. So it's like they do good not, Friday services. Not an official service. Well, they do it like in the the evening on Fridays. Uh, this mm -hmm. year, it's actually going to be different. I think it's going to be rolled in with Refuge Night, which is our night of worship. So I mm -hmm. think they're going to kind of oh, roll yeah, cause those because that's on Good Friday. So they're going to actually mm -hmm. roll those two together. But yeah, we do yeah. kind of a up in the prayer garden. I believe there's yeah, been. Which Good Which and my like growing up, I always had a Good Friday, like a very specific Good Friday service. You'd go to church because we I went to a Christian school, so we always had Good Friday off. So it's like, OK, you're going to go to church at night and do some sort of service. A lot of times we actually had the choir would lead like a really meaningful like um, I totally just blanked on the word, but where where you have like readings and then songs that they sing and then songs that we sing there's a word for it i'm blanking on it forgive me but hopefully y'all know what i'm talking about um and have it just be, be very intentional it always ended in silence always ended with me crying and you know reflecting and a lot of these things and and so some of these things i'll get definitely get into when we talk about the crucifixion next time but when you don't have that kind of lead up that time of reflection one you're kids are much less likely to ask questions about it specifically until like Holy Week, which, you know, is sometimes not necessarily a bad thing for parents who don't want to have to think about those hard questions sometimes, as we will talk about next time. But it also doesn't really encourage us to, to reflect either of like, why is it that we, like for us, right? Easter is the ball game. Like Christmas is a, obviously a huge event and what it, the symbolism of it, what it means for us to really think about the power of God becoming human is certainly not something to take lightly and is very important to celebrate at Christmas. But I feel like Easter, I mean, there's so many, it feels almost cliche to say, but there is no Christianity without Easter. And so it's like literally the cornerstone of everything. And yet it feels in some ways almost like an afterthought, especially in non-denominational lower church type churches. And I struggle with that sometimes because then it makes me, makes me struggle to like, especially at this season of life and parenting to like kind of carve out the time to think about that, even a little bit of time each week um, that at least like, cause I, in my early years living in DC, I would often go around Lent um, with my best friend from work. She is Catholic. And so there's a, a Catholic church not too far from our offices. So they would hold mass in the morning um, for before, you know, it was like at 8 a.m. So before most people on the hill and stuff had started their work day around the time. So we would go like Ash Wednesday service there. We'd kind of hit, try and hit a few different services. I think there was one, 
Lent, Katrin, forgive me, I can't remember if we actually accomplished this or something. We had talked about trying to go to Mass every morning or at least most every morning together. And I know we did it fairly regularly. Um, but just like those kind of moments of like really intentional time and thinking that just aren't part of, they're like an extra special reflective time. And that's kind of the point of Lent. Um, but yeah, but at the same time, I also struggle because you don't, like one of the reasons why low church, quote unquote, church is the way it is, is because they don't want to get too caught up in like the structure and stricture of like, you have to do this in order to be a good person, Christian. But what do we do? I guess, Megan, here's my question for you. Now that I've just rambled on for like 10 minutes, <laughs> what, how do we think about helping our kids and ourselves appreciate and really ponder the gravitas of Easter and Good Friday when culturally that's not something that we've necessarily created space to prioritize? Or how do you do that in your family? Um, that is a very good question. Um, the, the quick answer is you have to make time. And especially when you have very young kids, time is not something you feel you have in abundance. Um, but it's something that you have to dig deep and, and try to make time for um, because now is when they're really building those habits, those habits that they will take with them as they grow. Um, and so that's something that I try to remind myself when it is Easter, you know, getting close to Easter season and I'm exhausted because the time just changed. Mm -hmm. And um, I have to remind myself that the – the things that we're teaching them now, the the habits that we're getting them into now is they're going to follow them. So it is something that we we have to really try to 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 step out and and do, which is why you had mentioned um, last year when we did um, the Lent calendar, um, it was just something where um, for those with you know with older kids, they could for the days of Lent, they could you know, fast something, you know, in our, in our culture, kids are, you know, very, very into their phones and social media. And so I heard a couple, a couple kids that from upper elementary, they fasted social media for those four days and it was, it was hard for them, but mm -hmm. they, you know, they did it. And, and, um, those who were younger, the, the task was have them fast something once a week because 40 days for, you know, a three-year-old is kind of a, a big concept. Um, so for our family, we would do like a weekly movie night and during the the weeks of Lent, we would give that up. And instead of doing that, that weekly movie night, we would sit around and talk about, well, why, you know, why aren't we watching a movie? Who are we supposed to be thinking about? What do you think Jesus was doing during this time? What was he doing during this season? And just kind of talking it through, um, so giving up something is, you know, it's great to kind of keep that to the forefront of your mind. But with kids, if they're just giving it up, they just think they're being punished. Mm -hmm. So for our kids, we really made it a discussion. You know, we sat around and we we try to do, you know, our, our Bible reading and stuff at dinner when we're all sitting at the table anyway. Like that's when we do our Bible reading challenge. That's when we do a lot of that. So during this season, you know, we'll, we'll make it more geared toward toward um you know leading up to holy week um but we we would try to make it intentional and try to have these these conversations with them um 
But my husband and I are coming at Lent from two very different upbringings. Mm -hmm. Um, He Mm -hmm. was raised um, not quite Catholic, but very close. Um, So Mm -hmm. it was very, you know, very liturgical, very traditional, very, you know, it was more of a somber um, season and event, whereas I was coming from it from the, you know, Easter is coming, you know, yay. kind of perspective from the church that I that I grew up in. I think they mentioned Lent here and there when I was little, but I don't recall. <laughs> it wasn't enough to where it really stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mom always made a point of really trying to bring at least the the Holy Week front and center, you know, mm-hmm. and making sure that it's not just, as we were talking earlier, just about the Easter bunny and that Easter basket. And it's okay to be excited for it, but... You can't have Easter if you don't have, you know, the death and resurrection. And so um, that's that's something that Josh and I, as as parents, we try to mesh those two upbringings together. Mm-hmm. You know, we want them to know that this is, as you said, this is the ball game. You know, Easter is the the heart of it. The you know the the heart of it. Um, what Christ went through. Um, for those of you who have seen the show, The Chosen. Um, they haven't gotten to that, that part of the show yet where, you know, with the crucifixion and the resurrection, but it does show, you know, I think very beautifully shows that early time of Jesus's ministry and, um, going into this season, our, our oldest, you know, he's seen some of the first season with us and he starts to talk. He's like, wow, mommy, I don't know if I'd want to watch him you know, be, be crucified. I know that's not Jesus, but, but I really like, you know, you like the character and I don't think I'd want to watch him, him, him be crucified, but you know what? Jesus who's real actually was. And like, you could see his little brain turning that if he would be upset having to watch an actor Mm -hmm. go through something that hard, he's starting to put it together that Jesus who is real and living and breathing and, he actually did that. He actually went through that. So it's these little, little things that we're kind of pulling together to kind of help make this season more than just, mm-hmm. you know, the fluff and the, you know, the, the, the candy and the eggs and the excitement. It's more than just Holy Week. There is that level of sacrifice. But again, for Josh and I, we try to target it to their age, where mm-hmm. they're at. You know, mm-hmm. asking my five-year-old to give up something for 40 days, he would be a puddle on the floor and not be able to understand why. And why are you doing this to me? Why, you know, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, but that giving up something, and I, I know I'm rambling at this point, but giving up something, you know, once a week or even a couple times a week, you know, giving up something that matters and having that conversation, Josh and I have found really kind of makes – makes the point in a way that they can understand without making it so ordered and just going Mm -hmm. through the motions to where it, you know, it's kind of lost Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on them. So it's really just kind of a balance, you know, what your upbringing was, where, where you want to kind of have your kids land. It, it, it's, it's really just a, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, no, Shrug that's your shoulders helpful. and hope it works. Yeah, because I, I definitely like for this year, I have been trying to um, read at least a few chapters out of the Gospels each mm-hmm. night before I go to bed. 
however many I can read. I shoot for five, but basically it's as many as I can read before my eyes won't stay open very well anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like not comprehending anything anymore. Um, and then I set some timers on various social media apps on my phone just to make sure, which I'll probably honestly keep those after beyond Easter mm-hmm. so that I'm not getting into that kind of doom scroll or just scroll scroll mm-hmm. habit. But I, we haven't really done anything as a, like a family. We actually, Nora found our Thanksgiving pumpkin where we wrote everything we were thankful oh, for from uh-huh. last year. And so we've resumed trying to write things that we're thankful for each day, which she's got some very funny ones. But the other day was she, she specifically wanted to write the marker we use for the pumpkin. And I was like, oh, that's, that's very specific, but okay. Um, yay for Sharpies, I guess. Um, <laughs> So we've kind of unintentionally been doing that again as a family, which I don't think is a bad approach to Lynn. I think one one resource, which I'll link to for sure in the show notes, is um, that I found really helpful. And I think I'll probably make it a part of my annual reading, which I don't know if he'd ever listen to this podcast, but if he did, he would appreciate it because that's kind of the whole goal of the book. But Esau McCauley has a new book out on just called Lent. It's a very short book. I think I have it on... Um, an e-reader, but I think it's only about 100, maybe 120 pages. I, I mean, I, as a tired mom, read it in, like, at night in probably about four sittings of an hour each, so three or four hours. It's it's a nice short little book, but he goes through it. He Issa McCauley is a, a scholar and theologian. He works at Wheaton College, but he's also an Anglican priest, I think, now, but he grew up in the Black Baptist Church, so he's kind of run the whole gamut of, like, kind of, like, you may mention like maybe we heard Lent once or twice growing up in church, but that wasn't like a thing we did in church. That was kind of his background and then discovering it in college and then eventually becoming ordained as an Anglican priest, which is, and then, which is very much a high church um, denomination. And so he, but he goes through kind of like a quick summary of the history and tradition of Lent, why things came to be the way they were. And then his experience in, um, both leading a church and going through some of like the ritual in the Anglican tradition, but also some of the things like, like he talks at one point, he talks about how he did like early on, he did like the whole like fasting for 40 days, including like only having water on Fridays and kind of going hardcore. And he's like, I realized like it was a good experience for me in a lot of ways, but I realized I can't make that a thing every year because it becomes about me and about, I'm accomplishing this thing versus like, what is it actually encouraging me to do? So that's, he had mentioned that he reads the gospels every Lent. And I was like, Oh, I think I could do that. Um, And kind of that idea of Lent is giving up something, but it's also, it's really actually about reorienting Mm -hmm. yourself because traditionally, and especially in the Catholic church, but traditionally Lent is a time to prepare converts for baptism on Easter weekend. It's like, it's, it's a time to prepare everyone for, the tritium, the the Holy Weekend, um, Easter Friday, or Good Friday. Um, well, I guess depending on whether or not you count Holy Thursday, it's four days. But um, yeah, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday, um, and Monday Thursday a little bit. And so it's like a time to prepare and lead for that, but it's also a time to and prepare for baptism. Which, when you really are preparing and thinking about for your baptism, it's really reflecting on 
your sin and why you why we need this in the first place which again i think that I, to go back to why we celebrate this less perhaps than advent is everyone loves babies babies are cute we love to think about the arrival of new birth and new hope nobody likes to think about how sinful they are and how much they deserve punishment and um the kind of the dark bleary things but even though like the ultimate end of our celebration a uh, time of lent and reflection and remembering is uh easter it's that hope right but you can't have the goodness of easter in its fullness without really reflecting on why we needed good friday in the first place and that's why i think mm-hmm. one of the things i have come to really appreciate as i was older and why i kind of this is a hard time of life i really wanted to go to an ash wednesday service but of course every ash wednesday service unless you go early in the morning is right around kids bedtime and so I was like, I'm, I'm still at the stage where I'm like, I don't know if I'll go to Good Friday this year in person because my kids aren't quite old enough to fully appreciate it anyway. And it's literally at bedtime. So I'm like, Ugh. so I like I'm wrestling through that part of the stage. But I'm like, there's such a, a symbolism, right? Of tr- So traditionally for Ash Wednesday, for those of you who don't know, the ashes that are used on Ash Wednesday are the burned palms from Palm Sunday the year before. And there's something to me that is so poetic and fitting to think about the palms that were used, you know, kind of like in the real, in the Bible story where you have the palms that welcome Jesus as this, like all the crowds were like, here is the, you know, Hosanna to the son of David, glory, you know, like here he comes in the name of the Lord. And then by Friday, they're like, crucify him and kill him. Like within the course of about four days. And like, so it's very fitting that you know, we use those same ashes to kind of represent like how quickly our sin, like what the, the, the total depravity of our sin, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And so there's like, there's power in really kind of going through and recognizing some of those Linton symbols. And so that's why I would recommend this book. Cause even if you are not going to be someone that's like, yeah, I'm not going to get into like the whole, like all of the, the ins and outs of Lent because of concerns about, um, stricture and you know doing some feeling like you have to do something in order to achieve the end like as macaulay writes it's like it is not about me it's about what i need to do to kind of reorient myself to the power of god right and so that's why that book is really helpful but i think i do think sometimes that we would all benefit from a little bit more reflection which we'll get into um, this on sure next time, but uh, reflection on death and sin and why we need Good Friday. Mm-hmm. But that also then links into, yeah, those hard questions. Yeah. One um, from a, from a um, parenting perspective or a kid's perspective, um, one thing that we do with our kids that helps make it more tangible is um the resurrection eggs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um we we've done that at our church um for those of you who don't know what those are um i'm pretty sure you can google it and it'll it'll come up but um it's basically you take these little cards that has um there are 11 of them um there's the palm branch the 30 pieces of silver the strip of linen um you know all the different things that kind of represent holy week and you put the cards in, in an egg, in a little plastic egg, and you put them in your car, in a carton. And every day your child opens up the, you know, them in order. And then there's a little card of what you can read about what 
is in the egg and what it symbolizes. Um, you know, and the very first day is that palm branch. And it does talk about, you know, kind of the symbolism of the palm branch and why it's important and why it's, in and then the next day, the 30 pieces of silver and why that's significant. And, um, and it goes on until you get to the 12th egg where you open it and there's nothing in it. And all the kids look at you every time. The first time, it, you know, a kid goes through this, they look at you like it's, they feel gypped. It's empty. You forgot to put something in it. Why is there nothing in it? But it's to represent because there was nothing in the tomb, you know, because Christ rose again and there's that hope. And so something like that is also mm -hmm. something that is really helpful and tangible for the kids to really help them remember the story. And I remember when we first did this with our kids, Awen was a little too too young to understand. But then the next year when she was a little older, but the boys had already gone through it, they were like, oh, Awen, look, this one means, and then they're sitting here telling their little sister the story of, of Holy Week. And it was such a beautiful thing to watch them kind of want to teach their little sister about something that they, they've learned and it's something that they like to do. So um, going along with that, you know, you need to stop and have that time of reflection. Even for kids, they, they can you teach them and then you can ask them, why? Why is this important? Why is this palm branch? Why is this something that's significant? You know, and, and as you go every year, you see them put more and more and more pieces of the puzzle together, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and you see that coming together. So um, I think what Morgan said was really, really important where, you know, as adults, we need to take that time to reflect, to, to step out of the day-to-day -day and really dive into those gospels to really dive into this season of Jesus's life. But we can also help our kids to step out as well and, and mm -hmm. find little activities like this to, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to help it become something that's very real to them as well. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the resurrection eggs is definitely something that um, Josh's family grew up doing a lot. I don't recall doing those growing up. Sorry, mom and dad, if, we did, and I'm blanking on it. But yeah, I, I mean, didn't. we did. I don't think we did. Um, but I would highly recommend it. Yeah, especially in, or if you're like a Sunday school teacher, like this is a really good Sunday school activity to go mm -hmm. through. I know my mother-in-law for her parenting classes that she did a few years ago, pre-pandemic, where they did I think a sesh, a couple parenting classes right around Easter time. So she actually put together kits for this. Um, but you can Google it. I can try and I'll try and find one that we can link to in the show notes so you can kind of see the example. But yeah, like Megan said, it's like you kind of you can order like pre-made ones online or you can make your own little fancy ones and kind of go through that way. But it's um, it is a really handy tool and it kind of it's different technically than the Jesse tree that um, I know some people again, my in-laws do at advent but when you kind of start to have some of those tangible symbols that even if, if even if that's all you do and you don't do a whole like you know 40 or 45 days of lent like yeah having those little traditions i do think makes such a difference especially for little kids um, and as they grow you can add on to it mm -hmm. every year you can mm -hmm. add something new you can you know you can so this that sets a foundation and then you can grow those traditions and add to those traditions and mm -hmm. as they get too old for one thing you can trade it out for you know for mm -hmm. another because mm -hmm. um, like you morgan i didn't grow up with the resurrection eggs either i had never heard of them actually until i started working at drcc two years ago and uh they were like okay well let's stuff the resurrection eggs i'm like the what now 
I had no idea what they were. And then when they, when they showed them to me, when my colleagues showed them to me, I'm like, this is genius. This is mm-hmm. so awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a really, really fun thing to add into our Easter traditions. It really mm-hmm. helps to kick off that tradition, that conversation yeah. with the kids. Cause you know, they have all their, que- all these questions. And so something like this can really help to kickstart that conversation comes sometimes as parents, we don't really know how to, we know in our heads what we want them to know, but we don't really know how to articulate it, how to, you know, how to kind of kick off that conversation. So something like this can get them interested enough mm-hmm. to where you can keep their attention long enough to have, you know, that conversation. So things like that are really helpful. Yeah. And since it's egg themed, like you said, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, stuffed plastic eggs. If you're a family that does like, you know, an Easter egg hunt or Easter basket hunt, it's actually either a good thing to you, depending on the level of chaos at beginning or end, um, to do it as a kickoff to the Easter egg hunt. That's we've done it sometimes in the past. Or if your kids are just too antsy to go hide to go find the eggs, you could do it kind of while they're munching on a piece of candy after mm-hmm. the egg hunt and sorting is over, um, and working it in in different ways that way. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think, is there any other fun traditions around Easter that you've done so far or have heard of doing? The resurrection eggs was the one that I was thinking of. So you stole my thunder, but not really. (laughs) Sorry. It's fine. Yeah, I don't really have anything else that comes to mind in terms of like tradition. I guess the other thing that I, I, and this is probably one that is an older kid activity. um, But if you've never done a foot washing service on Maundy Thursday, Mm -hmm. especially, or, or know what that is. It's the kind of the recreation and, and going through the process of how Jesus washed the disciples' feet um, on that Passover night before communion and to like go through a foot washing service and have communion together after. Um, that's actually one of the amusing stories in um, in the Lent book that Issa Macaulay wrote. He's like, this was one thing my Black Baptist background taught me because in his particular um, church denomination that he grew up in, they would do foot washings I can't remember if it was every Sunday or like once a month, but pretty regularly. And so he would joke about how there was a kid group of, you know, kids and then college kids or whatever, like the group that, you know, his age range, they grew up with like, you knew if it was a foot washing day, you had to show up having freshly showered and trim toenails and clean socks and kind of have, you know, like the least stinky feet possible for the thing. But he's like, it does kind of take away from the beauty of it when you think about what Jesus was washing away on his disciples feet. But but that idea of like how um, how powerful it is that we serve like it's it's just one of those things where as you get older and you recognize like the the power that there is and like the symbolism and the meaning of it to have someone like so debase himself in that society, especially as so I mean when you read. I, I'm in my um, rereading of the four gospels. I finished Matthew and Mark and I'm about halfway through Luke. And it's, re- it was really striking to me when I was thinking about foot washing in particular, but um, how in Matthew and Mark, at least the um, kind of the inciting incident for Judas's betrayal is the story of the woman who, who debases herself basically by, washing Jesus's feet, you know, mm-hmm. breaking the, the expensive ointment and washing his feet with her hair. Um, and that's kind of like what propels Judas to be like, this is the final straw. I'm going to go and find a way to betray him because this is like so 
antithetical. And there's a lot of different reasons kind of for why that would be potential breaking point and how many different ways that it kind of um, turns upside down expectations of the kingdom. Like we're not going to use the money that's in here to do other good things, but like instead she's going to just waste it all. And then she's going to do something so gross as washing someone's feet. And this isn't even a holy woman and all these kinds of things. And like, Jesus is like, no, like people will remember her forever because of this. Like, that's just like, so then to have Jesus go and wash his own disciples feet and like take off his outer garment and any kind of signs of his status and go and wash everyone's feet that are stinky and dusty and dirty. Like you had to imagine like how silent that room would have to have been, especially after the first like that's what you talk about watching the shows and Josh and I are watching have, I don't think we're as far as you are, but I, that's going to be one scene that I'm like, that's going to be really interesting to see mm-hmm. how they approach that because there's no protests recorded, obviously, other than Peter being like, don't wash You could never wash my feet. Well then wash my whole body. Like, but beyond that, it's like there, there's not a whole lot of protests, but I'm like, it either had to be a really loud and rambunctious, at least initially, and then grow really silent or just be really silent from the get go other than Peter. And I, I don't know which one, I guess you could kind of imagine it a few different Mm -hmm. ways, but all that to say is a foot washing ceremony is just a really powerful reminder of like, that's how Jesus chose to spend his time or at least part of his time on what he knew was going to be his last night before the crucifixion was Mm -hmm. to wash stinky, dirty feet. Hmm. I really like that. I, my, my wheels are turning. I don't know if you can see it on my face, but <laughs> my wheels are turning. I could totally see Josh and I doing something like that with our kids, lining them up one night, not telling them what's happening, just get out a bucket and just start like washing their feet and wait for the questions and let that lead into mm-hmm. a conversation. I always love teaching moments like that where they're mm-hmm. just so taken aback by something that they just want to know all the details they want you know and they you really get that's a really good idea yeah and if hmm. you've ever done it in a i don't even know i'm so rusty post-covid of like what are and because post-covid also coincides with i have small children whose bedtimes are at like 6 or 7 p.m so most of the evening service times are kind of out the window for me right now mm-hmm. but like i don't i don't know around here anyway in the Frederick area, like where where you would go for a Monday, Thursday service with a foot washing. I'm sure you could probably Google it and find some churches that are advertising or have that do it. Mm-hmm. But if you ever get a chance to do it, if you have a phobia about feet, I can't decide if it would be really good for you to go or really good to stay away. Cause I mean, it's obviously very much a foot thing, <laughs> but um, I think it's, again, it's one of those things you don't have to do it every time. Like to me, like with Lent, if it becomes really meaningful and powerful to you in a way to remind you of that, then by all means, like definitely do it regularly. But it's one of those things I think everyone should do at least once, if only because then you have that memory seared in your brain forever. And so when you Mm -hmm. read the passages in the gospels that can kind of like it triggers something, right? Like when you start having these experiences or these moments where you really reflect on Mm -hmm. something that then when you go, even if you go back and read something in like say a children's story about a, a certain story and you're like, Oh, yeah, remember how we talked about it that way or experienced that in a certain way. It's really good for you and eventually really good for your kids. Yeah, I remember when I was a teenager, uh, we we did a foot washing um, at our at our summer camp, and it was it came out of nowhere. And you know, all those awkward teenagers, everybody was like, mm. "Somebody's gonna touch my feet!" Like, oh, 
Um, but it did stick with you. It really was, you know, a very powerful moment. I never thought about using that with kids. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I and I will say too, I, I don't, I'm not a person who gets pedicures regularly. Like mm -hmm. I maybe once every couple of years, but it's, it, it, if you are someone who does that regularly, you might think, oh, I get my feet washed all the time. But like it, it casts it in a new light because it's mm -hmm. like, like you go, and I, I mean, this is a whole side note on how we treat people in service industries, whether it's food service or, you know, mani-pedi or, you know, like different salons and stuff. But it's like, it, it reminds you of humanity of everyone around you too. And like that, yeah, I don't know. It just, it brings new meaning. And for me, at least when I go and get a pedicure now those very rare moments it brings that up and then it just like just prompts me to just start praying for the person tending to my feet the everyone in the salon like it it, it impacts you in ways that you would never really imagine otherwise hmm. which i guess is kind of the whole point of the gospel yeah and the whole way <laughs> jesus works in the world like that's kind of he we'll get into this more when we start talking about jesus more next week and in the next few episodes but i mean really he I feel like the whole upside down kingdom metaphor that I hear a lot, like it's really good, but it almost sells it short of like just how much Jesus turns things on his, on their head when you are reading certain things like in the gospels or like when you think about like, how do I, like we can kind of, we read them so often, but like when you stop and actually read or even like what I've been doing with this this gospel reading, there's been times where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm trying to read five chapters and there'll be times where I'm like, I read half a chapter and like it sinks in my head, but not really sinks in my head. And all of a sudden a verse just like pops out and you're like, I have to stop and reread this verse like 15 times because I can't get this out of my head. Like it's just hitting in a new way for some reason. And so there's like really good value in close readings of everything, but also really good value in like the skimmings of everything of Jesus. Like because no matter when or how you read the Bible, like if you go into the, to it wanting to learn something, you will find something. God's going to hit you over the head with something. Jesus had a way with words that still hits us thousands of years later. Very true. Well, I feel like that's a pretty good place to stop. Um, so like I said, next time we're going to start getting into uh, who Jesus, a little bit of kind of paralleling our last episode of who is God. We're going to get a little bit into who is Jesus and specifically questions around the crucifixion and why he had to suffer. So um, just brace yourself emotionally now. I know, Megan, we're going to have to brace ourselves emotionally mm -hmm. now. Um, but in the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode, if you found it helpful, First of all, if you have um, a few moments to leave a five-star review, especially on, for those of you with Apple, with iPhones, to do it on Apple Podcasts, because apparently that's, I don't actually have an Apple phone, so I can never actually look at this, but uh, that's one of the top ways to get people's attention is to leave good five-star reviews on, on Apple Podcasts. Um, but you can send us any feedback that you might have, any questions, comments, Quest, uh, things that you want us to talk about in a future episode, feel free to email us at faithlikeachildpod at gmail.com. Uh, we do have a Facebook group. The link is in the show notes. If you're interested in joining, it's a private group, but um, you're welcome to join. And hopefully someday we'll start having some post-episode discussions. It's still a fairly small group, and that's all right. Um, and otherwise, we will talk to you again next time. 
Bye. Bye.